We can begin in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And as you're turning there, let me just kind of tell you where we've been and what we're doing and how the first of the year is going. And uh, listen, the beginning of this year, we've got a lot of great things planned for you. And one of the first things that, uh, uh, and I'm, I left my little flyer down there the, about our upcoming growth groups on Wednesday night. I'm going to ask the ushers to... Uh, just be ready. Beverly, hand me that flyer right there. I want everybody that hasn't gotten one of these to raise your hand. It's this little flyer about our growth groups that are coming up. So if you've not gotten one of these, hold, raise your hand and our usher is going to quickly run through there. Anybody, there you go. There you go. There you go. Up front, left, right, and all around. Uh, and I want everyone to really consider being a part of our growth groups uh, that are coming up this Wednesday night. It's a six Wednesday night session video-based. I've been reading through the book, and this is a phenomenal book. It's an exposition on Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12 is a life changer. The first thought about Romans 12 is surrender. We offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service of worship. And then, uh, and then it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. And then the, the next thought is we're going we're gonna to reprogram, if you will, the way we think. How many of you know we are what we think about? It's our, it's our diet. And so, uh, so this is going to be a life changer. And if you want your life to be changed and transformed, it says don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transform. Listen, religion will not transform you, transform you, but relationship will. And it's a cooperative effort between you and God for that process to take place. And it begins this Wednesday night. And so I want to encourage everybody to come out and uh, plug in. We'll just have a little prayer time together, dismiss kids, and then we'll begin our, the little short 15, 20 minute video. And then we'll break up into growth groups. Uh, and Kobe's got his team together. They're ready to roll. These growth groups have been uh, proven to be life changing. So I want to encourage you to come and be involved. Now, I know what some of you think. Oh, no, I no way I'm getting in a growth group. They'll make me talk. You don't talk unless you want to talk. Okay, so it's, a, it's challenging. It's life-changing. And uh, I want to encourage you to come and plug in six weeks uh, of uh, becoming true spirituality, becoming a Romans 12 Christian. So uh, I encourage you to plug in and get involved in that. And everybody said... Amen. So here we are, the testings of God. I just did a little uh, a Google search or, or just searched this word testings. I realized that's not actually a word. Uh, it's so, but I wanted, because there are different tests that God puts us through, I, I put it as plural. But uh, according to my little uh, dictionary on my laptop, it's not a word. There's no such thing as testings. It's just testing. Uh, but uh, I, we need some plurality there, and we'll explain that more in a little bit. Last Sunday seemed to really make a difference in a lot of people's lives as we talked about the testings of God or the, how God tests us. But let me just back up a little before that. The first Sunday of January, we discussed uh, being a counterfeit Christian or a genuine Christian. How many of you know And for everything that's real that is of value, there is a counterfeit? And let me just say... Christianity and having a relationship with Jesus Christ is 
certainly valuable. And as a result, there's counterfeit Christianity. We looked in Matthew 7 where Jesus talked about the false prophets. That's a counterfeit Christianity. But then we brought it a little further home in Matthew 7 where Jesus said there will be people in that day when they stand before him and they'll give all these reasons why they should get into heaven. Have we not done this in your name, done that in your name, and your name done many mighty miracles? And Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. It doesn't matter what you do, it matters. Here's the way it works. Who you are determines what you do. Uh, And when you really become a genuine Christian and you give your life to Christ, the first thing is relationship with Jesus Christ. And so... So uh, uh, we, we learn that there's a counterfeit, but then we realize that, hey, there's a genuine Christianity that all of us need to embrace. Uh, and I gave you some thoughts about genuine Christianity. Number one, it's always tangible. Everyone say, it's tangible. You see, your walk with God ought to be real, not only to you, but to others around you. It should be tangible. Uh, and number two, it's transformable. In other words, uh, transformational. Pardon me. That, that means that when you give your life to Christ, things begin to change. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It means things begin to change. I've met some people who would call themselves Christians, but the evidence is, <coughs> pardon me, is lacking. There's nothing tangible. There's no real change in their life. How many of you know that God wants to transform our lives? And what I talked to you, talked to you a few moments ago about, about our small groups will be transformational in your life. And then number three, we talked about the fact that it was transferable. Uh, that when we give our lives to Christ, the very nature of Christianity reproduces after like kind. So I want to encourage you in that and realize that, hey, as a Christian, if I'm going to live a genuine Christian life, it's got to be tangible. There's got to be transformation and it's got to be a transference of what you, you have to others. I will uh, let me behoove you, beseech you, all the King James word I can think of, uh, to get you into the mindset that the, the life of Christ in you is meant to be given away to others, amen, and transferred. And then last week, we talked about the fact that genuine Christianity will always be tested. It's going to be testable. It will stand the test of time. It will stand the test uh, uh, that this world uh, uh, puts on us. And so we've been talking, last week we talked about the testings of God. And here, hey, and throughout history we realize God has always been testing his kids. Parents, do you test your kids to see if they got it? Yeah, absolutely. And Deuteronomy 8, 2, an early uh, reference to that, verse uh, Deuteronomy 8, 1 and 2, here's what it says. It says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and what? Test you. To know what was in your heart. I like that. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And so God has always been about the business of of testing us. And it's for our good and for his glory. Amen. And so we're embracing the testing of God. Now, we talked about some of the tools of of the trade that Jesus used, God uses in our life. Number one, he uses others. Anybody ever been tested by others? (laughs) 
Whoo, others will test us. Uh, and then uh, we talked about the fact that not only others will te- test us, but just obstacles. There's just obstacles in life that come our way. Uh, and, and they test us how we're going to respond to the obstacles of life. Uh, and then we talked about opposition. There's spiritual battles going on. There's opposing forces in this world. Has anyone figured that out yet? We live in a world that has a spiritual warfare going on. And and the weapons of our warfare, though the Bible says they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But it's opposition that tests us. And then not only opposition, but oppression. There's a lot of oppression in the world. And we talked about that. We read Isaiah 58, that, that the fast that God chooses will will bring liberty to those who are oppressed. And so, hey, but oppression will test how we deal uh, with those circumstances. And then lastly, we talked about the fact that ordinances test us, laws and governances. How many of you ever had a law you had to obey that you didn't quite understand or care for? Okay, they test us to see if we're going to be obedient. That's what Deuteronomy 8 verse 1 and 2 references to see if you're going to obey the word of God. And so last week I gave you four tests, uh, but here's the truth. Here's what you need to understand about the reason God tests us, his purpose behind the testings. And I gave you this thought. This was a tweetable moment. If you're a Twitter fan, teachers test us to determine the level of information. God tests us to determine the level of transformation because that's what God's all about. You see, we are in the process of being transformed into his image. How many of you know we were born and created in the image of God, but sin has perverted that. And now through the mercy and the grace of God and his Holy Spirit here in this life, we are being in, we are in the process of being transformed or changed, which is from the word metamorphosis. How many of you ever seen the little uh, ooey gooey uh, caterpillar make his uh, cocoon and come out of what a beautiful butterfly. That's the word that God uses right here. He transforms us. When we read Romans 12, 1 and 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. You see, by the renewing of your mind, being changed by the power of Almighty God. Paul said this, that as we behold in his face the glory of the Lord, we are transformed, we are changed, we are metamorphosed if that's the way you say it, into the image of Jesus Christ. And that is a promise. And that is a process that God has for us. And that's why he tests us to see how we're doing in this process of being changed and transformed. I gave you four tests. Quickly, there this. They're test of obedience to see if we're going to obey him. The test of love. And then the test of faith. And then the test of suffering. I gave you those four. Hey, let me just say, God's not opposed to allowing you to suffer. I thought I was his child. He uses those things. Ask Job if life wasn't a little tough for a little while in his life. And it was all a test. And he came out through the test with, with in fact, here's what Job said about in, in Job 23, verse 10. He says, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. I love that. 
Job had a confidence in his relationship with God that he was going to pass the test that God had for him. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you uh, five more, oh uh, yeah, five more tests that God tests us with to help determine, not only for, not really for his part, how many of you know he knows what's in your hearts? He really does, but he's exposing what's in our hearts through the testings of God. Are you with me? Are you, have you get the idea here? He knows what's inside. God knows our heart, but he tests us to reveal for us what's inside of our heart. Have you ever been down some road in life and you thought you had something all taken care of and you realize a problem came along, a trouble came along, or a circumstance came along, and you realize, man, I didn't realize that was in my heart. Whoa, it was an exposition of our heart. And those things come along. So God says to see, really it's for us to see what's in our hearts. And so this morning, let me give you five in the next 30 minutes. The, the, uh, the fifth one, uh, if you remember the first four, obedience, love, faith, and suffering. The fifth one is the test of limitations. God created us with limitations. If we didn't have limitations, there would be no need for God. But he tests our limitations. And a great illustration is in Matthew chapter 14 when Jesus is speaking to the multitudes. And the multitudes were, were enjoying the word of God. And the disciples start getting hungry in their tummies and they realize we got a problem. Houston, we have a problem. There's 5,000, maybe even more, 1,000 people there. And they're all listening to Jesus and, and, and they're going, it's about supper time. And well, there is no way. We can feed all these people. So they came up with the obvious plan. They said, Jesus, you need to bring this teaching session to a close. It's time for church to be over. Uh, it's time to send these people back away because it's about supper time uh, and they're going to need something to eat and we're going to need something to eat. And Jesus said this to them. It's amazing to me. He said this, you give them something to eat. Now, it was a test. Because he knew that they did not have enough food to feed 5,000 people. Plus w women and children. He said, you give them something to eat. And they said, we only have, uh, you don't understand, Jesus. We don't have enough. Uh, we only have five loaves and two fish. Now, what they were faced with was the test of limitations. Let me just say something to you today. When God speaks something to you, you cannot look at, most people look at life through the lens of their limitations. Well, one of these days when I get here, I can obey God. One of these days when I get this, then I can do that. One of these days when I have enough this or I have enough that, then I can accomplish this. Listen, you know what Jesus was a challenging? It really was a test of faith, but it was a test of what are you going to do with what you do have? Most people look at life through the lens of what they don't have. Am I right? But God will take what you do have and he will bless it and he will multiply it if you will not limit him and you will pass the test of limitations. If you're always murmuring and complaining about what you don't have, God cannot bless what you do have. That'd been a great place for everybody to say amen right there. It's okay to say amen every once in a while. But it was a test. 
And sometimes when we have limitations, listen, I believe it's a test. God's going to see what do we do have. Some people say, and I've heard this, Jim talked about challenging people to change the way they think about their finances. Well, when I get a little more money than I can afford to tithe, could I tell you something? You can't afford not to tithe. It's kind of like the guy who, the old farmer, the preacher said, You've heard this before if you've been around here a while. They're my stories. I can tell them as long as I want. And when you get old, you just repeat yourself anyway. So, Yeah, you don't remember them. You get too old. Yeah, so Lord, let him get a little older where he forgets all these old stories. The pastor said to him, Farmer Jones, if the Lord blessed you with a hundred head of the best cattle on planet earth, would you give the Lord half of them? And he said, oh, preacher, you know I would. Well, Farmer Jones, if the Lord blessed you with a hundred of the most beautiful horses in the world, would you, would you give the Lord half a, oh, preacher, you know I would. Well, Farmer Jones, if the Lord blessed you with the two of the prettiest sow pigs on planet earth, would you give the Lord one of them? He said, now, preacher, you know I got two pigs. You see, we're always ready to give what we don't have. But listen, God wants us to pass the test of limitations and be willing to give what we do not have or give what we do have and offer it up to him. And the disciples wisely gave him the five loaves and two fish and he took them in his hands and he blessed them and he began to multiply them. And I can see all the disciples' faces. Can you see the disciples' faces? I can see their faces. They look like Gomer Pyle. Shazam. Look what God can do when we give him what we do have. He wants to bless what you do have. Tell somebody he wants to bless what you do have. But he tests us with the limitations of life. Think about Moses. God spoke to him and said, I want you to be the, the leader of the liberation of all these children of Israel, these million. He said, wait a minute. I can't talk very well. God said, who made you that way? I made you that way. See, he made us with limitations. Amen. So we got to pass that test. It's the test of limitations. Are you with me? Say amen. Number six, the test of forgiveness. Come on now. I'm going to get up all up in your business for just a minute. But hey, you can write this down and look it up later. Second Corinthians chapter two, the context there, verse six through 11, Paul had written to the Corinthian church in the first book to the Corinthians and he was giving them instruction on how to deal with someone who had been caught in a very egregious, immoral lifestyle. And he gave them directives on how to deal with that. And if you were to go to this passage of scripture, he's kind of coming back with it again. And he says, you know, the, all those things, here's what I want you to do. You've got to process this correctly. And he said, the reason I gave you these instructions is, a, is for a test to see if you would obey and do what I want you to do and be a forgiver of those who, who have offended you and offended the church. He said, I'm testing you. It was all a test to see if you would process this, this issue and come to the full circle and be a forgiver. He said, in fact, if you don't forgive this guy, he, it might, he might send him over the edge. Listen, understand something. The world is inundated with offended people. 
The church is inundated with offended people. I've met some that they walk in and you can see it on their face. They don't know you can see it on their face. I can go. And here's the way a lot of times it goes. Hey, good to see you. Where are you from? Well, we used to go to that church. Man, the big red flag goes up. Look out. Well, bless you. Yeah, well, that's what I want to say. Don't go puking on me. You remember my rule about puking. Anybody know I got a rule about puking? If somebody pukes on you, either in reality or even verbally, they undoubtedly, my friend, are very sick and need a healing. Am I right? The world is filled with uh, uh, offended people. In fact, Jesus said, hey, you're going to be offended. What are you going to do with the offense? The test is, are you going to forgive? In fact, in the model prayer of Jesus, when we talked last Wednesday night about praying like Jesus wants us to pray, he said, the way you, if you want to pray like Jesus, like I want you to pray, you're going to have to pray this way. Uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, no, preacher, I just want to be forgiven. But hey, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. That, that particular aspect of the model prayer of Jesus is the only one he commented on after he was done. He said, oh, by the way, if you don't forgive your brother their trespasses, God can't forgive you your trespasses. You're in a mess. And could I say to you today that a lot of God's people, maybe even some right here, have been flunking the test of forgiveness. Well, I'll forgive them when? No, it's forgive them. In fact, here's what I've come to a lot when I've processed through this. It's just like Jesus came through, came to on Calvary's cross. Father, forgive them. They just don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they've done. Father, forgive them. Some of the most healing words you'll ever say to anybody else or even to yourself, I forgive you. I forgive them. I release them. I bless them. Did you know Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies? You know, it's hard to be upset with somebody you're praying for all the time. Most people are cursing instead of blessing. Could I get a better amen? Should I move on before y'all leave on me? It's the test of forgiveness. It's right there in scripture. Paul said, hey, I did all this to test to see if you're going to follow through and come out on the other end forgiving this brother in your heart. Everybody say, I forgive you. Everybody say, I forgive them. Amen. It's the test of forgiveness. Number seven, the test of God is the test of example. Now, let me explain this. And, and I'm not going to turn to these passages. I want you to look them up. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse one through eight. It's Paul writing to, of course, the church in Corinth. And he's, and, and the context is, in fact, the whole chapter of eight is about being a liberal giver. We've talked about that already today, but he's talking to the Corinthian church. Now, my, my kind of simplistic understanding of Philippians, the, the, the city of Philippi and the silly, the silly. See, I told you I'm getting old. Let me try that again. The city of Philippi and the city of Corinth, there, there was an economic difference. Corinth was, uh, was a kind of a, 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 a hub of business and commerce and, and Philippi was a, was a poor village area or whatever. But the church in Philippi, and if you remember, we studied Philippians last year. Philippi were the only church that supported Paul with sacrificial giving. 
You remember? In fact, if you go to Philippians, you'll read where it says, uh, you know, I thank you for your sacrificial giving. You were such a blessing. And then he said this scripture that all of us claim, but some of us don't uh, deserve. <laughs> and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That was given to people who sacrificially supported the ministry of Paul in hard times. They gave sacrificially out of their need they gave. And Second Corinthians, Paul comes along to the Corinthian church. He said, let me tell you about a church down the road called Philippi. He's, it's really, he references the Macedonians. It's the same folks. Let me tell you about them. They gave out of a sacrifice and, and they gave and they served and they gave till it hurt. And, and you know what he tells the Corinthian church? That was a test. I bring them to you to test your level of heart. He gave them an example as a test. You know, well, we're not supposed to compare ourselves with other people. Uh, absolutely we do. You see somebody's walk with God, you ought to compare yourself to theirs and go, ooh, I need to learn from them. They got something going on. It's the test of example. You see, how many of you have ever had someone in your life, their lifestyle convicted you? That's what Paul was, was saying here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, hey, look at these people. They were poor, but they gave. I bring them to you as a test for you. He said this, I bring them to you as a test for you. I'm testing the sincerity of your love, verse 8 says, by the diligence of others. What was he saying? If they can do it, you can do it. Amen. It's the test of example. We need people in our life that challenge us. And listen, let me tell you, God puts you in this life to challenge others with their walk with God. In fact, Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider one another to stir up and provoke love and good works. Our lifestyle ought to shine a light in the world so much so that people are convicted about how we live and they see our good works and they choose, hey, I'm following that role model. I'm following that example. And so it's the test of example. There are people in our life, we need role models in our life that can, that can challenge us to higher levels of living, amen? It's the test of example. And then number eight, and I love this one, it's the test of light. The test of light. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight through 11. Let me just turn over there quickly for you. Ephesians chapter five, he talks about the light of God and that we are the light of the world, of course, and Jesus said that. But look what he says uh, in chapter five, oh, beginning in verse eight. He says, for, we, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Everyone say, find Finding out. That phrase, finding out, really means uh, testing. Through the light of God in our life, we test what is acceptable to the Lord. And so the light of God tests things in our behalf. But let me, I'm going to fulfill this by getting on to Philippians chapter 1 in a moment. But look what he says. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things are exposed or made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Let me just say this. You know why some people don't want to come to church? Because there's light. And it shines in their life and it, and it exposes the darkness in their life. 
It's the same way with us. Now, Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. In first reading, there's nothing there that references light. But let me show this to you. You're going to like this. He says this in, uh, first, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 10. He says that you may approve or test the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. I'll just read that one phrase to you. He said that you may test the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. Everyone say sincere. Now, here's where we understand the test of light. The word sincere, the base meaning in Greek is without wax. La-dee-da-da. What does that mean? That you may be sincere, that is without wax. What's he talking about? He's talking about the potter. And in the days that Paul lived, the potter, rather than throw away a flawed vessel, some of the more, uh, some of the, those that lacked integrity would take the pot and fill the crack with wax and then paint over it. So at first glance, when you're shopping for a pot, oh, what a beautiful pot. But people started catching on. They'd take the pot home, maybe heat it up a little bit. The wax would melt and the, and the fluid would run out. Oh, that potter, he has tricked me. He has deceived me. And so here comes Paul drawing on that understanding. He says, you've got to approve the things that are excellent. You've got to look at something and you've got to approve it so, to make sure that it is sincere, that it is without wax. What do you do with that pot? You lift it up. And this is what they did into the sunlight. And through the sunlight, they could see the cracks and the wax. And that's what happens in our life. It's the test of light. And you know what God wants to do in all of us? That's what Paul was saying to the Philippian church here. Hey, he said, you got to test the thing. You got to lift this up. It looks excellent. It looks right. You got to lift it up into the light and see if there's a hidden flaw. If there's a hidden area of our life that we've candy-coated over or we've filled with something and painted over it so no one would see, but understand something. At some point, somewhere in life, the imperfections of our life that we've covered will be made exposed because of the light. And really, we ought to just say, Lord, shine your light on me. In fact, did you know David prayed this prayer? He said this in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test me and know my anxieties. And see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Let your light shine in me. It's the test of light. I don't know about you, but when God really begins to use me, I don't want the process of use to expose the hidden flaws of my life. Listen carefully. They will be exposed through the test of light. Are you with me? It's the test 
of light. And then number nine, and we're going to close. It's the test of fire. Everybody go, hallelujah. Look at your neighbor and smile and say, it's the test of fire. Woo, man, I love, no, nobody loves the test of fire. The hot places of life. David said this in Psalm 66, 10, for you, O Lord, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. How does that happen? Through the, through the heating up process. I don't know. I didn't Google it. I should have what it takes to melt gold. It's pretty hot. What it takes to melt silver. I don't know the degree. Uh, it's pretty hot. And what the illustration is, God will heat things up in your life. He will heat things up in your life to the point that the imperfections come to the top to see if there are any. Just like the test of light, he'll heat things up in your life to, to see if the imperfections, and that's the way they purified, that's the way they refined it. They would heat it up to a certain temperature, and the impurities of the silver or gold would come to the top. It's called the dross. They would take off the dross, and then they'd everybody would go, ooh, that was great. But no, the, 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 the jeweler or the, the, the refiner, uh, he would go, no, 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 no. Bring more wood. Let's heat this up a little more. There's got to be some more impurities. Anybody ever felt those kind of fires in your you get through one, you go, whoo, he's taking away the dross. And all of a sudden, the next, <laughs> and you get real spiritual at that point. Get behind me, devil. What the world? It's the test of fire. Zechariah thirteen ten says, I will bring them through the fire. I will test them as gold is tested. Hey, ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego if God minded them going through the fire. They went through the test of fire. And the only thing that burned up was their bind, the, those cords that bound them. Whoo! And guess who showed up? In the middle of the fire. The king looked in, he says, I... Wait a minute, I thought we threw three Hebrew children in the fire. Look, there's a fourth in there walking around in the fire, and he looks like the Son of God. Somebody say amen. He'll show up with you. And it says in Zechariah, he will bring them through the fire. He will test us as gold is tested. Now, let me just throw you to the end of the story. It's the final exam. Do you remember the final exam? Everything weighed on the final exam. Did you know all of us, through all these testings, there's going to be one final exam? Did you know that? Look at your neighbor and ask him, did you know there's going to be a final exam? Now, thank God it's not a test to see if we know him or not, because we already know him. How many of you love the Lord with all your heart and say Amen. He's not testing whether we get, if you're a Christian, he's not going to test to see whether you get in. He's going to see what goes with you. Let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn over there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are you with me? Are you turning? If you didn't bring your Bible, bring one next week. If you don't have one, go buy one. If you don't, can't afford one, I've got boxes of them. It's got little small prints, so you have to have good eyes, but I'll get you a Bible. 
First Corinthians chapter three, look what Paul says about the laying of the foundation in our life. Verse, oh gosh, verse nine, it's a reference, and I'm gonna show you this in Second Corinthians chapter five in a moment, but it's a reference to what is called the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone say the judgment seat of Christ. Now this is a future event for you and I. We will all stand before him as his children. Now understand the judgment seat of Christ sounds a little ominous, but there will be a judging of our works and the way we live life on planet earth. And as I'll read in a moment, what we, what we built upon the foundation of God called, you know, our life, the fire will come and burn up that which was wood, hay, and stubble. But that which remains, gold and silver, whatever it is, that will remain. And, and I'm going to read it to you in a moment. And what remains, that's, that's the, the, the good part of your life. And how we live life on planet earth as we stand before him is the judgment seat of Christ. And it's really an award ceremony. Because the word judgment seat of Christ, I'll read it in 2 Corinthians 5. The Greek there is bema. It's talking about the, the, the platform of award ceremony. You remember the Olympics, how they, one, two, three, one steps on the, it's, that's the picture. When God, and he awards us and rewards us for a life well lived on planet earth. But it's called the judgment seat of Christ. Now let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse, oh gosh, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now follow me. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, talking about the life, building your life on the foundation of Jesus, each one's work will become clear for the day. Everyone say, for the day. Now, my Bible is capital day, capital D day. It's talking about a future day when you and I stand before God for the day will declare it because it will, re, it will be revealed by fire. Everybody say by fire. And the fire will test each one's work. See, there's the test. The fire will test. Everyone say the fire will test. This is the final exam. Listen, it's the examination of our life. The fire of God will test each one's work. Man, that's powerful. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive what? A, somebody say a reward. If each, see, so what we're talking about, it's a, it's a award, a reward ceremony. There is a reward in plan, in heaven for a life well lived on planet earth. But look what he says. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before him, I would appreciate a reward or an award for a life well lived. It's the judgment seat of Christ. It's the final exam. Let me show it to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's right there close. It says this in verse 10. You know what? I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If not, I'll just quote it to you. 2 Corinthians 5. Oh, I'm in 1 Corinthians. That's right. I didn't go to 2 Corinthians. There it is. Here we go. 
For we must all appear. Everyone say we all. For not just some, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There's that award ceremony I was telling you about. That each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And you couple those two passages of scripture, it's the final exam of life. It's the last test you and I will ever have before we enter into the glory of God. There will be a test. There is a final exam where we stand before God and our life is judged and the fire of God, one more time, burns away the dross and what remains is what God rewards us for as we enter into glory. There's always a test. Let's stand together. Today as we draw to the close of this service, We focus our hearts on where we are. I want you to think about where you are and what's going on in your world. And I want you to look at it through the lens of the testing of God in your life. And you know what I'm convinced about? As I look back, now I once was young and now I'm older. About everything we go through is some form of a test as to how we're going to respond. And I've been through a few I remember when I got a phone call with my wife in the hospital, dehydrated with Laura Beth. She shriveled up, Beverly shriveled up to 97 pounds. She's pregnant. I was worried about her. And in the middle of all that testing, I get a phone call that says my dad was tragically killed in a plane crash. He was a private pilot. Shocking, devastating. I hung up the phone and I realized this is a test. How am I going to respond to this? Am I going to be a reactionary? Or am I going to respond rightly? And I ran to my room. I fell down beside my bed. I lifted up my hands. I said, Lord, I worship you. I don't understand all of this, but I worship you, Lord. I give you the glory. Life is one big test, it seems. But remember why. It's not determined how much information you've stacked up is to determine for your sake the level of transformation in your life. Are you going to respond like Jesus would? Or are you going to respond like the flesh? Anger, fear, doubt, unforgiveness. If you carry all that to, to, to the final exam, It won't last a millisecond. 
If you carry that to the final exam and say, Lord, this is just the, the hand that was dealt me and I'm sorry and I, I, I don't know why I didn't get over this and I don't know why I didn't go through that. I don't know why I didn't study better. I don't know why I didn't do that. I don't know why I feared and doubted. I don't know why I stayed unforgiven. I don't know why I did all this. It'll all melt in a moment. So why not just let it melt away today? And I'm saying this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit right now, but for somebody, it's been way too long. You've held on to this way too long. Today's the day to pass the test. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. The Holy Spirit is searching through this room. His light. Hey, guess what? The, light, the test of light is in this place right now. And maybe the crack and the flaw has been exposed in your life. That's a good thing. So you can let him heal you and help you. So you can live a life without wax. Without having to hide the flaws and hope nobody sees. It'll all be exposed in a milli moment. And so if the light of God has exposed some areas in your life that needed fixing. Hey, listen, it's, this is, I don't know how to address you, your circumstances other than God is looking to you. To quit reacting and start responding to him. And as David prayed, search me, O God. Search my heart. Test me and know my ways and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you today.